Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5-1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Welcome on back. We're going to catch up with uh, Coach Kalani Sataki coming up here a little bit later on in the show. But joining us right now, Executive Director of College Football's 150th anniversary, he's Kevin Weiberg with us on The Big Show. Kevin, thanks for a few minutes. How are you? Yeah, thanks. I'm doing great. Great to be with you. I've heard, I heard you say earlier today, Kevin, that uh, wrapping your mitts around this one is kind of a, it's an armful. It really is. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of times all the focus and attention is on the top 100 institutions that play college football, but there's a whole lot more than that out there. So I think it's actually four-year schools. We're at 775. If you mix in the community colleges, it grows to over 800. So um, and we've tried to figure out ways that we can allow everybody to participate in the anniversary celebration. And we didn't have a whole lot of money to work with to sort of roll out the national pieces of this. So it's a lot of it has been about what can we do that everybody can participate in and how can we provide assets that could easily be accessed. And it's kind of customized so that um, BYU can put its own look on 150th anniversary stuff and and I've been really pleased today to see, uh, you know, some of the things that have occurred here around Media Day. How would you rate the, 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 the status of college football right now? Yeah, I think it continues to be among the most popular sports in our country. Um, you know, the NFL continues to be the kingpin, and maybe college football sometimes benefits a little bit from the carryover, although we had a 50-year jump on the NFL in terms of playing college football. They celebrate their centennial this year while we're doing 150 um but there are challenges and there have been throughout the history of the sport if you're a historian at all about college football you know that in the early 1900s there were tremendous concerns about the safety of players and um, there were changes to rules and you know there's been that evolutionary process and we're still facing some of those challenges i think and the good news is i think there are people paying attention to youth participation and what can we do to make the game a little bit safer they're investing some money in it maybe overdue um, but i think those changes will occur and so for those reasons i remain confident that you know we're going to have a uh, something that people will still be very passionate about well into the into the next round of 50 years it's certainly appropriate that you're you're here given BYU's unique role in the history of college football. Yeah, that's right. And uh, you know, I, I grew up as a young person in the you know sixties, seventies, and I remember watching the development of the passing game here, and you know uh, the great success that BYU had rolling into the seventies and eighties um, under Lavelle. So where did you grow up? I grew up in the state of Kansas. Okay. Um, yeah. And so, so you were noticing, you were taking uh, yeah, notes yeah, Lavelle you know, doing. and the growth of television around that time provided opportunities to see a whole lot more. Do you remember that game against San Diego State? Yeah. So was it 79 or 78 when so, uh, it was like, I mean, it was like it, it was like the earlier version of the air raid. Yeah, you know? yeah. So, you know, those were startling things because the game um, in many parts of the country was still played in a very different way. In the region I grew up in, you know, it was a very much a ground game, wishbone style of offenses. So it was notice- it was noticeable to see the development on in the West of 
the great passing game. And so for that reason, it's tremendous to be here. And I thought they did a tremendous job today of through BYU TV of uh, showing some stories about that and telling a little bit of that history. It's what we're hopeful that everybody around the country will try to do as part of the anniversary celebration. Looking through uh, your bio, um, you were you were working with Pac-12 when they expanded to 12 teams and actually back with the Big Ten when they brought in Penn, Penn State. State yeah. So you've been on the, the front lines for kind of the some major shifts in college football. So I feel like you're an appropriate person to ask, where are we going? Where, <laughs> where What's the next big shift? Yeah, well, um, there's no question that, um, you know, college conference membership has changed a lot, right? So um, I think it is viewed much more fungible than it maybe once was. Uh, there's still great, you know, there's the great conferences that have a great history and tradition and the biggest money. So they're, they have a, an advantage in some respects in that regard. Um, but I don't think you can rule out future change. Um, we'll have to see what happens with changing media landscape into this next round of media contracts. There's no question some of the expansion of the, the 90s into the 2000s here was driven by the, the desire to have more inventory, more eyeballs. That was uh, part of the media piece. Maybe not entirely that, but it was certainly part of it. Um, and, and so we, haven't, we aren't completely finished with that, I don't think. Uh, we'll have to see. BYU is in sort of a unique position because they like to see themselves as a Power 5 type com- uh, t- team, but uh, they're not a Power 5 team. Do, do, you, do you see a time when they will be included? Well, I, you know, that branding is probably somewhat unfortunate. I mean, I, you know, that's a, it's a great question relative to do you have to be part of that subset of five conferences to have the highest success in college football? I think that answer may still be a little bit Outstanding. We'll have to see what happens with the postseason, too, right? That could be a determining feature as we roll forward. What kind of access is there, and how does that affect the branding of conferences and independents and, and others? Um, I think BYU continues to be in the group of institutions that would have a, an opportunity if conferences get bigger in the future. So you can't rule that out. And, uh, you know, I, I've... Uh, had a lot of folks ask me about these kinds of things over you know the past four or five years since I left the Pac-12, and I think it is re- you really have to take care of your own business first. I know that sounds sort of silly, but you got to make sure your programs are excelling. Got to make the right investments. You got to have continue to work on the relationships. Uh, those other things are all really important. You can't just assume that um, because of your past success, you know, or the history that those opportunities are always going to be there. If you were advising BYU as far as to make itself more attractive, would you have some advice? Well, I don't know. I think Tom's done a nice job, Tom Holmo, of, uh, you know, the the uh, ESPN agreement is really important. I know he's working on the next generation of that, as I understand it. And that those connections remain very important for visibility standpoint. I do think the, the independent status does provide a unique opportunity to have um, – a quality schedule that may not exist otherwise. So there's some value there if that can be sustained and continued. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I think you just have to do your best job of building what you've got and then, uh, you know, be well prepared if there is another wave of change that, that comes around. Kevin Weiberg is with us, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. i got to tell you, one of the, the most unique parts or, or uh, I guess periods during my career was the Pac-12 expansion because it was just news was breaking left and right and this this school's in and this school's out what was it like to be 
a part of that wild right. ride. And what did you think of when it all the dust settled? How it turned out? Well, it was it was a wild ride. Um, you know, Larry Scott, as a new commissioner, had a lot of authority. The members uh, really encouraged him to uh, pursue an aggressive expansion plan. And by members, I mean the presidents and chancellors of the universities were fully invested in those things. Um, And uh, Larry was new to the college scene for the most part. Um, So, you know, he didn't have deep personal relationships across conferences. So to some extent, there was a feeling that he could kind of come in as a new guy and go for it. And uh, he certainly did some of that. And for me, on the other end of the spectrum, as being, you know, one of his um, you know, uh, assistant commissioners, it was, a, you know, it was a lot different because I had personal relationships in a lot of these right. conferences. So um, it was wild in that regard. And, um, you know, it's like when you change jobs as a coach, you know, you want your place to succeed. And so I was fully on board with uh, what the PAC was trying to do. And they needed to do it because, quite honestly, they had fallen behind from a revenue standpoint and um, they needed uh, they needed that kind of effort to enhance their position and I think for the most part that strategy relative to the where the expansion ended up the initial contracts with ESPN and Fox provided a revenue boost that the conference desperately needed now you can argue all the other points about the conference network and whether that one has been the right long-term player will be we'll have to see right Um, do you have an opinion on that well, I mean, it was an aggressive play. Um, you know, Larry really and the presidents and chancellors again went for the wholly owned model. Um, and they believe, you know, I think they believe it has long-term benefit. I think, you know, fair reading at this point is we'll have to see. You know, you can't say for sure that that will be, uh, that it will work. But I know they're exploring a variety of options. And having worked for Larry, I know he's an extremely bright guy and, um, I, I know he's got a lot of contacts across the media landscape, and so I'm sure they'll have all the information. We'll have to. We'll be fascinated to see I'll, what happens. I'll tell you this much, Kevin. That was a, when that expansion happened. It was a big day up on the hill up in Salt Lake City. I yeah. mean, people up there were yeah. very excited about it, and uh, I think the Utes have uh, represented themselves. They really, well. really have, mm-hmm. and I was so happy for them and for Chris Hill. I'd known Chris for a number of years, uh, going back to when I worked in the Big Ten office, and actually had a chance to even interview for the Mountain West Commissioner job at one point. So I was really happy for him because he, he, to some extent I thought he would. He, it's a good example of someone who they sort of took care of their internal business. They continued to grow their program. They had uh, really high on-field success. The university continued to improve academically, I think. And, um, they, you know, all of that sort of came together and they uh, – they did a nice job of, if you'll remember, of some of those circumstances around that expansion. Um, they weren't sort of front and center on the initial wave. They did a good job of sort of hiding, not hiding, but staying in the background and waiting until the opportunity presented itself after the you know, consideration of uh, potential Texas or others had kind of run its course. Kevin, when were you a candidate to be the commissioner of so the So it goes West? back to when the Mountain West was just formed, when, oh. when Craig Thompson was... Um, was hired. Actually, um, Craig and I both participated in the Big 12 commissioner uh, search process in the Mountain West were going on at the same time. And we both uh, were interviewing in both places. It was kind of unique. There's a few folks around here probably wish you would have gotten Well, I I don't know about that, but I kind of surprised myself and was offered the Big 12 opportunity and pulled out of the Mountain West search process at that point. Okay, so that was you saying, (laughs) see you later. 
Well, Kevin, we can't thank you enough for jumping on with us. Good luck with the 150th anniversary. It's very exciting. Yeah, thank you very much. Great to talk to you. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, That's uh, Kevin Weiberg with us, Executive Director of College Football's 150th anniversary. Thank you very much, Kevin. Great to meet you. Uh, Very interesting conversation uh, right there. Kevin's got a... a, um, uh, he's he's been he's been around a lot, and he's yeah. been in in those rooms where those big time decisions have been made. So that that was a fun conversation. Yeah, I think that uh, since we're here at BYU, that that uh, the question that we asked him about BYU's chances still hangs heavy around here. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, he probably wasn't overly eager to get too deep into that. No. All right, we want to remind you about our friends at iMart. From mismatched clothes to costumes to glasses, hats, and jewelry, kids wear the darndest things. Post a photo of your child wearing an outfit they've created paired with stylish glasses for your chance to win a $100 iMart Express gift card. Enter by posting your photos to Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag ZoneDarndestThings. We're live at BYU Media Day. We'll have more Big Show coming up on the other side right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We are live today from BYU Media Day. We're going to talk to Coach Kalani Sataki coming up a little bit later. Uh, coming up in a few minutes, Gordon, we're hoping to talk to Ivan, <coughs> excuse me, Ivan Mizell from ESPN as he's uh, in town, of course, uh, covered college football for a long, long time. So we're hoping to talk to him coming up here momentarily. Uh, we do want to remind you of our friends at the Wasatch Medical Clinic. Join us coming up tomorrow from 3 to 6 as our friend Andrew Reinhardt from Wasatch Medical Clinic will be live in studio to discuss an FDA-approved breakthrough and permanent solution for ED with no pills, no surgery, or no needles. Yeah, uh, none of that sounds good. Uh, no. I mean, the the, uh, the right. alternatives. I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. So, Way to pay attention to not that. make that awkward. Well, look, it's like when we talk with Andrew, it's it's a fact of life, you know, it happens. Let's it's dwell a, on it here. It's, it's, is it of interest to our listeners, Austin? Is it at BYU Media Day? Well, sure. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I All think, right, let's yeah, dwell I mean, on it here. I think, Go I think ahead. the folks down here at BYU have, uh, you know, similar problems. Nobody's immune. As uh, as they say, you know exactly. All right, we can, uh, be, we can be mature about this. While we're waiting, wait, to are talk we done? To you, I want to talk more about this. While we're <laughs> waiting uh, to talk to Ivan, in fact, he's uh, he's on his way over. We will try and um, squeeze in a little basketball talk. Maybe we'll get to that a little bit later on, okay. uh, coming up in the five o'clock hour, because there has been some very interesting basketball news out there to uh, talk about today. As uh, Gordon, this uh, zany basketball off season is already. Underway, and I think it may very well affect the Utah Jazz. Well, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I think there's a chance it could affect everybody. Yeah, uh, in the NBA, well, a third of the league is free free agents. You know, there's all kinds of movement and uh, all kinds of trade talks going on out there, and it seems like a lot of this stuff centers around the draft and uh, heading obviously into free agency. All right, he's sitting down with us now. Sit down, uh, throw on that uh, that headset. He is a senior writer for ESPN. He is Ivan Mizell with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Well, let's make it clear that see, the senior title is speaking to his the achievements and the accomplishments during his career, not his age. Thank you for clearing that up there, Gordon. Appreciate it. I'm not entirely sure you're correct, but, but I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, thanks for giving us a few minutes. It's, uh, it's good to see you. This is a really fun event. 
It's, I'm stunned at the scope of it. There's just so much going on it, it, all day and uh, so many outlets and, and the excitement is palpable. You know, it's our uh, college football is this means college football is here. This is my first media day of the season. So I'm really excited to be here. So what do you make of uh, BYU's situation right now uh, as far as not really being a P5 team, but uh, they, they view themselves as one? Uh, the facilities are like one. Uh, do you think uh, that they are – are they stuck in this sort of limbo, or do you think there will be some movement over the next number of years? Well, I think uh, it's interesting. That to me, it is sort of a limbo. I, I think – Certainly the facilities are here, but more important, the intangible foundation is here, what Lavelle built in the sense that nationally BYU is a name. And when the success happens on the field, the sport will respond to it in a way that perhaps they wouldn't if it were uh, another school in the West you know, that doesn't have a national championship, that didn't have that sustained uh, multi-decade long run. And uh, so much of of the success that BYU has built upon, you know, you don't do something like this unless you've got the outlets. You know, the the fact that the point I'm trying to make, the, the fact that there is a BYU TV, the, 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 that there are viewers and listeners not only in the mountain time zone but all over the country and all over the world. I mean, that's – that's what I'm trying to – that's what I'm getting at. There is a foundation there that when the, the W's happen on the field, the two will mesh together and, and BYU will rise in a way that other schools might not be able to. You know, that's an interesting point you make there because BYU has upgraded its schedule. Now they've got to beat these teams. I mean, really, right. that's how you get people's attention. Well, sure. Know. Yeah, because if you beat them and they're not at that level, then nobody really pays attention. But uh, I think – uh, the schedule that, that Tom Holmo assembled for this year is, is a terrific opportunity. And uh, it will be, I think, the BYU over the first month of the season is one of the more interesting stories to start out the season. I don't think BYU would be able to be an independent without the relationship with ESPN, which, of course, has been a topic as, uh, you know, negotiations have, have gone on. And you, you mentioned how unique BYU is with its, with its audience. Has that been a mutually beneficial relationship, ESPN and BYU? I would assume so. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm on your side of the, of the church state right. wall, so they, they don't consult me about, uh, you know, negotiations. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, our guys are pretty smart, and, and the deals they make uh, are certainly beneficial to the network and the fact that they immediately uh, leapt to sign up a deal with BYU when it became an independent, uh, I think should bode well for for the future for both sides. I mean, now, it's, from everything I've been told today, it's, you know, everybody seems to think – Something's going to happen. They're just negotiating. Now it's just in a negotiation. So hopefully uh, something good will happen soon. Based on the information you've gathered about this particular team coming into this season, you talked about the interesting schedule and whatnot. Do you, what do you think of uh, the talent BYU has? And do you think they have enough to be able to, you know, get, I don't know, eight or nine wins against this particular team? Oh, I, I think so. Uh, I think. There's so many K-12 
kids coming back with experience. There's so many kids coming back with experience that got a taste of success at the end of last season. I think that is immeasurable as a springboard to get you through the grind of the winter and the spring. Uh, you, you've tasted it. Now if you get a little better, you'll go farther. You know, that, that's, that's what coaches you know, tell them and tell them and tell them over the last few months. Uh, I think for the, this is the right year to play this kind of schedule, not only from BYU's angle, but from the teams that they are playing. You can paint a scenario where it's a struggle, but I think there's also very easily, you know, in the way sports writers think, there's very easily scenarios where BYU is at least competitive, if not victorious, in all four games. You know, Utah's had smoke blowing up their skirt for months now about how good they are. And, you know, now they're not, you know that they're going to be paying attention because it's BYU, but. You know, this is, uh, I think there's still an intangible advantage for BYU there. Uh, Tennessee's kind of probably a year behind BYU in terms of the rebuild. Uh, USC comes in after playing an emotional conference rival in Stanford, and then they've got to come here. And UW's rebuilding, you know, so uh, there's, I think these, the game's set up well for BYU. You know, do do I think they're going to win all four? Of course not. You know, how can you look at that schedule and think that? But I think you can build a plausible scenario for any of those four games where BYU wins. Ivan Mizell is with us, ESPN senior writer. What's your impression of uh, Zach Wilson as the next BYU quarterback? Well, anybody who finishes a season 18 for 18 in one game. You, you, pretty good. That, that's pretty. That's hard to, to beat. Um, he came a long way last year. He, he's obviously an immense talented kid. I like, his, uh, I like the presence he had today. You know, he's just, he, you can see, and some quarterbacks are natural leaders, but he, there's a self – it's not a swagger. It's just a self-confidence and a – uh, ease, comfort, comfortableness with himself that speaks well to his, you know, him in the locker room and him in the huddle. Uh, the arm is everything he said, and, and no reason not to believe him. The shoulder's coming along well. It's got 10 more weeks to come along, and so that's encouraging. I mean, I, I think he's going to be a, a really a, a kid to watch this season. I mean, what do you make of the Utah BYU rivalry as far as rivalries go? I love it. Uh, you know, it, it's everything you want, every box you can check in a rivalry you have in Utah BYU. You've got proximity. You've got the fact that not only are the teams, not only are the schools close to one another, but the alums are on top of each other. You know, you work with them all week. You live next door to them all year. Uh, you got private versus public. You got church versus state. You know, and you know, the Holy War is a cute name, but it, it 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 fits. So, any kind of you know, us versus them, which is the essence of college football rivalries, is you know, we're not them. We're better than them. You know, you have in this rivalry, and and that's uh, that makes it really a lot of fun. Do you think we're headed for college football playoff expansion? And what would uh, the ideal conclusion of the college football season be? I don't want an expansion. I love four teams. I think it would be benefit greatly 
the the group of five teams if there were an expansion because they would get at least one guaranteed spot. I think they'd have to for it to fly politically. But to me, there's something really good about a conference championship not being enough to secure a bid to a playoff. The, the fact that you have five power five conferences and only four slots, you got to be better than just winning your conference. I love that. And uh, I think that's another reason that we start talking about it before the season starts and we talk about it all year, which is only healthy for the sport and only keep selling and marketing and promoting the sport. I don't know that we do that if there's eight teams. I don't know if we do it with the same fervor if there are eight teams. Uh, what happens to the great rivalries of the game if at the, end, the last week of the season both teams are guaranteed to get in? You know, are we going to see what we see in the NFL where players sit on you know week 17 on Sunday? You know, let the NFL do that. That's fine, but I, I don't. You know, I don't want to see that in college football. How did the top uh, end of the SEC get so good, Ivan? And uh, I guess we could include Clemson and yes. their ascension. You may, but yeah. uh, what? How has this happened? The Pac-12 has been dragging a little bit. Uh, what, what, what's the deal with this? Well, I think it speaks to how important college football is to those people and and i grew up as one of those people and and that's why i do what i do i understand what it means to fans to win or to not win a an important football game where'd you grow up mobile alabama oh well i guess yeah. that so, explains it yeah my you know my parents both went to the university of alabama and my brother went to the university of alabama and uh i get it you know i know why it's important and you know, you can – athletics is the front porch of the university. We've all heard that cliche. Nowhere is it fit better than, than down there. It doesn't mean it runs the university. It means that the university understands the importance of athletics and makes sure that athletics is first and foremost. And when that happens and you have success in college football, the university benefits. You know, if it, Dr. Witt, Dr. Robert Witt hired Nick Saban at Alabama, and people would say to him, how can you pay him so much money? And Dr. Witt would say he's underpaid. And here's why, and he's right. Enrollment at the University of Alabama in the last 15 years has doubled. Wow. They've, had, they've built I, the number is somewhere around 100 new buildings in those 15 years. Is you know, that right? And, yeah, and they, you know, wow. they didn't do that. Why were they able to do that? Because the money came pouring in because of what Nick Saban has done there. Now, that's, an, that's not the entire SEC, but that's sort of the way that thought process, that's the point I'm getting to. It's just really important to the way of life down there. You know, pro sports uh, were latecomers to the South. That was another reason. Uh, and even now, I, this is interesting. I'm going off on a tangent. Uh, when the national championship game was in Atlanta two years ago, I spent the whole season going to Atlanta periodically, and I wrote a story about the relationship between college football and the city of Atlanta that stretches back to the late 19th century. The Falcons have been there 53 years, 
And it's really only now, as the city of Atlanta has exploded to about six or seven million people, that pro football and the Falcons are beginning to impro- approach where college football is in the mindset of the city of Atlanta. Hmm. And it took a hundred years of pro football to catch up, or, or to even be in the same breath as college football in the biggest city in the South. And that I think that speaks a lot to why it's important. Well, Ivan, we can't thank you enough for, for dropping by and having a conversation with us. We really appreciate it. Enjoy, My pleasure. Uh, enjoy Provo. Yeah, I intend to tonight. Thanks. Well, thanks. Thanks, Ivan. We appreciate it. There you go. That's uh, Ivan Mizell. He is uh, ESPN senior college football writer. Uh, we'll have more live from BYU Media Day coming up next. Still expecting to talk to Coach Sataki coming up, so stay tuned. 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. car needs washing and the front yard needs a trim and a telephone big show gordon monson jake scott 97 5 12 the zone live from byu media day want to remind you to come watch future stars of the pga tour tee it up at oak ridge country club in farmington june 27th through the 30th don't wait till the last minute to purchase your tickets buy them online now at utahchampionships.com uh we're gonna forego the not sports report today just because uh, things have been so wall-to-wall here gordon but it's normally brought to you by of course the lhm used car supermarket over 1,000 used vehicles in inventory. Shop online at lhmusedcars.com. We're going to talk to uh, Kalani Sitaki, hopefully coming up towards the top of the 5 o'clock hour. So make sure and stay tuned for that. And we'll also dive into a little basketball in the 5 o'clock hour as well as things slow down a little bit uh, down here in Provo. But the big story of the day, reported by Yahoo Sports, Chris Paul has demanded a trade Woo! from the Houston Rockets. And uh, the, the Yahoo report goes uh, deep into what's going on written by uh, Vincent Goodwill. And uh, amongst other things, Gordon, uh, Chris Paul and James Harden did not talk for two months of the regular season. Uh, Their relationship has been described as, quote, unsalvageable. And uh, the star players want a divorce. In fact, um, Chris Paul has reached out to James Harden a number of times in the offseason, and uh, Harden has never communicated back. And apparently Harden has also communicated with the, uh, with the franchise that it's either him or me. So it does not sound real healthy there in Houston. They, was there any leakage of this uh, during the season? No. Now, we got a taste of it right at the end of the playoff right, series right. where their their spat was reported. But as far as it, it going this deep, no, not really. They yeah. kept it under wraps pretty well. That's uh, that's pretty interesting when you have two, uh, two titans of the game going at it like that. Now, Chris Paul obviously is a little longer in the tooth and is not at the peak of his uh, power right now. And uh, But wouldn't it have been interesting if he had been? And how this would, would yeah. shake out. Yeah. Well, and, and with the, with the uh, opportunity that has been created by the Warriors situation, that exacerbates this even more. Uh, but I don't know. I really, as much as I like Chris Paul and I like him as a player, uh, I know some jazz fans have a little problem with his attitude at times, but what a great career he's had. And uh, it, 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 it makes me wonder, at this point in time, who is going to be willing to trade for him? 
Oh, they're they nobody is the answer to that. They're, oh, Forty million dollars. Three years left on the deal. Uh, Houston, Houston's in a real pickle because if if these two can absolutely cannot coexist. So what do they do? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I I don't know what exactly uh, you do with that contract. I mean, you you can't stretch it and and cut them. I wouldn't think it's just way too much money. Is there any scenario, any scenario whatsoever? Where the Jazz would be interested in Chris Paul? No. If it were ten years ago, yeah, for ten years ago. But I mean, and it has everything to do with the price tag. Everything to do with the price tag and his age. Right. I mean, you know the 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 next couple of years, or certainly the last year on that deal, is going to be rough because if his game continues to to deteriorate, and he had his his worst season in a long time this past year, and plus. I, I don't would, would that deal have been worth it had Houston, had Chris Paul not gotten hurt uh, last year in the playoffs and had the Rockets won a championship, They it would have been worth it then, right? Well, and, and would Harden and Paul have a different type of relationship if they would have? Wow! If they would have uh, uh, won a title, mm-hmm. I mean, would it? And, and listen, or I, would it have made it worse? I didn't think that those two were going to get along when that trade was made. Well, I people, didn't, and I and I had to admit that I was wrong, well, and I gave Chris Paul a lot of credit for for falling in line. But now, apparently not. That that didn't really last all that long. Remember people who were jokingly pointing the finger at all the skeptics out there who said, how is the, how are they going to coexist? And they were all laughing at certain people who wondered about that. Well, now we're, we're seeing the, uh, the result. Well, I, th- I honestly think we're, we're seeing an example of two bad teammates. It, there, there's a story in there and, and I've, heard rumblings of this, but there, there's a story there where Chris Paul really enjoyed playing with the second unit because James Harden wasn't on the floor. Uh, so he really enjoyed running that second unit. Didn't, some and, cl- didn't Clippers have problems with uh, Chris Paul? Too? Yes. Yeah. I mean, he's he's got a track record. But James Harden would see Chris Paul out there having success, success with the, the second unit uh-huh. and go to Mike D'Antoni and say and check himself basically back into the game. See that's and that's just poison. It's Come just it, it's described in the Yahoo report as uh, behavior that's petty, both on uh, and off the floor. Yeah, and how petty is that? Where you see a guy, yeah. you know, you're like, okay, you're playing well out there, and you look like you're having a good time. Yeah. Uh, not on my watch, sir. Especially since James Harden was being had so his usage rate was high. He was uh, he was piling up minutes. And so to play that kind of game under that scenario, come on, knock well, it off. Well, and Chris Paul was irritated with with James Harden that when James would actually give up the ball, he wouldn't space the floor or do other things that good teammates do. He'd just give up the ball and stand there. He yeah. wouldn't. And, and Paul, who we do know is a very um, – you know he's a he's a worker. He's a cerebral player. Like those sorts of things are are the exact types of things that would irritate uh, a guy like that. But Harden is good enough to get away with with whatever. I wonder if this is a case where competitiveness is celebrated so highly, where you have two guys that might be too competitive. Mm, I I often think that uh, when you use a word like competitive, you're 
you're just putting a smiley face on a I'm number a jerk. Of, on a number of other ways you could describe the behavior, but it, you go with the positive. Like uh, Daryl Morey has been going on all these different media outlets or whatever, and that's the word he used. Oh, you've just got a couple of competitive yeah, guys. Yeah, well, yeah. Mm, competitive is one thing. Checking yourself back into the game just to ruin another dude's day? That goes... That goes a little beyond competitive. Right. I, I would agree with that. But you've got to admit that as a, as a characteristic, as a quality, a personal quality, especially in the world of sports, everyone celebrates it so much that I think there, there can be a point where you just go, man, you're just being a, an absolute jerk. Yep. Well, and I, I've said this for a while, that I, I think James Harden would be really hard to play for. And I think the, the meaning... Play with. Or play, excuse me, play yeah. with. Yeah, maybe Freudian play slip for, there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but the, the value of an assist, because I know everybody points at his assist and go, well, see, he gets, a, he gets a bunch of assists. What are you talking about? He's unselfish. He does, uh-uh. it, all, he does it on his terms. He, all on his terms. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing Paul was frustrated about, is, is James Harden lets the air out of the ball and... And figures out what, whether he's going to make a play for himself or dump it off at the, at the last second. But, but here's where Chris Paul doesn't have a leg to stand on, is that James Harden might be the best ISO player in NBA history. I mean, he's that good. And you can look, you know, we can talk to David about the deep analytics and those sorts of things, but he's that good in isolation. You can say that, but it's not my favorite kind of basketball. Oh, I hate it. Don't get and, me wrong. And if I were a teammate of his, I would. Uh, it would really bother me. What What is the first thing you're taught in basketball, Jake? Don't hold the ball. Move the ball. And James Harden holds it, hugs it, hangs on to it all day long. But it's tough to – I don't like watching it. Don't get me wrong. But it's tough to argue with because still – the the most efficient way to score in the NBA is one guy beating another guy to get a shot, right? And if your one guy can beat anybody who stands in front of him, how do you tell him not to play that but way? But not well enough to win a championship. And thus the pro- the problem that Houston is is facing so right now. So then you ask yourself, is it worth it? Is it worth having a player like that who is such a talent but who – has the potential at least to poison the rest of the team. We talked with uh, with uh, Zach Wilson earlier about when he picks his spots to run, and I think that would be a, a nice analogy that if you have a quarterback who's constantly taking off running and your wide receivers are out there busting their humps to complete the route the way it's supposed to be done and to catch the ball – and they're doing everything right, and they're beating their man, and the quarterback is taking off running, I, I can see uh, similarities between those two scenarios. And it, it can steal the heart away from your team because then guys stop running those routes because they, they have a, that thought in the back of their minds that they're not going to get the football even if they do their job. So if you're setting picks or you're trying to move at the offensive end, and you're getting open, and the guy is standing over there holding the ball, trying to set himself up, or he's he's a reluctant passer, uh, or dumps the ball off to somebody with three seconds left on the shot clock. That's that's not gonna that's not gonna warm you to your teammates. All right, we'll have more coming up right around the corner. Uh, we're expected to be joined by BYU head coach Kalani Sataki coming up here shortly. So stay tuned. Live for BYU Media Day. It's the big show, ninety-seven five and twelve eighty. The Zone.